Yes, yes, yes. Welcome back to another episode of Raising Pimp City. I'm your brother, your friend. Hopefully, if not, I really, um, you know, I'm getting more and more on not worrying about what other people's opinion is on me. You know, because when it comes down to it, I got to answer for my own deeds, my life that I live here on this earth, just like you got to answer for yours. And hopefully my opinion of you doesn't matter to you. But I'm priding myself on just be a good person. Do right by the people around you. Do right to yourself. And and, and just, man, just hope just hope you get entered into those pearly gates. I don't know what your religion is, but I'm, I'm in my way, I'm I'm hoping I, I get to I get to go to heaven. And I'm also hoping that I get to have heaven here. You know, they call it heaven on earth. I'm trying to have my heaven right now. Hopefully I don't have to wait till I die to get to somewhere peaceful. I'm trying to have peace right here peace in mind but um we are back on another episode like i said and i have a great friend of mine a great new friend of mine and you know more and more i'm getting into this piece it's like it's like god is bringing the bright people into my life and i love it i'm i'm getting rid of the people that shouldn't be there and i'm bringing in the ones that should be there and do that too 2019 make it draft season draft in the people into your life that's going to be helpful and beneficial and make make you make your life better you can learn from and then get rid of negative people. You have to do it every year. You know the NBA, NFL does it. What aren't you, isn't your life way more important than that? Do it have a draft season. But speaking of which, we drafting in an all star onto the team right now. You know onto this life team. Who do we have the pleasure of having on the line right now? Introduce yourself, ma'am. I am Amy Andrews. You know the one and only controversial no i'm just kidding <laughs> a little bit you ain't joking <laughs> you you're a little controversial but controversy good yeah yeah no 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 you know because i, I see things a little differently than most people and, and, and i'm hoping i'll have an opportunity to express that on your show here absolutely absolutely so um I've been doing a series on um, just different people that have different experiences in the um, in the game, and I'm doing that with the purpose of uh, highlighting um, and and just showing without any um, me leading the way. I just want to show how many people have different experiences in this thing that just keep they, they keep putting a blanket over as if it's everybody is a cookie cutter same experience same ordeal, and it's really not. But I'm gonna shut my mouth and and, um, and let you speak on um, this, you know start us from the beginning, Amy. Start us where you want to start us and let us know um, how, about your experience and what this is what's called the game or the life. You got the floor. All right, all right, yeah. So, so um, I, I really you know like to talk about how a lot of people think that uh, you know getting in the game just starts by, you know, meeting somebody that can, you know, make you feel like, you know, that's a good opportunity or whatever, uh, business partnership or whatever. But there's a lot of stuff that happens behind the scenes, though, that a lot of people don't see. And for me, my exploitation actually started uh, when I was nine years old um, in my own home. Mm. It, it, was, it, was really, it was really rugged. Like, I didn't have that support that I was supposed to have and people that were supposed to protect me and um, teach me about life and, and safety and self-esteem and all of those things that prepare us to be able to respond correctly when people approach us about things like getting in the game, right? right. So, so that's what I like to express to people is that, you know, the exploitation 
audition starts way before you ever get turned out into the game. And, and so for me, um, with sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, uh, I was taken away from my mother at the age of nine for the first time and put into a foster home where they didn't speak any English. So, yeah, I, I didn't stay long there. <laughs> I was a little nervous because, you know, I couldn't communicate with anyone. And um, So, you know, I ran away to a friend's house and, uh, you know, started smoking and drinking and, and doing drugs, things like that. And uh, that went on for a period of about four years where I was running away and then, you know, foster care would come and take me and remove me and tell my mother, you know, she had to get rid of the boyfriend and they wouldn't offer her any services. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of a tragic story, but um, it's, it's kind of how it happens for a lot of young kids that are in the system. Um, and, you know, of course, again, that's my story. Some, some people have a different experience and so, um, but this is mine. And so when I was 13, I had started hanging out with some older kids and, you know, they, um, they like to party in different types of ways. And uh, out here in Palm Springs, we have what's known as Palm Canyon, which is the infamous spring break strip for people across the United States. And some individuals even come in from other countries to experience downtown Palm Springs, Palm Canyon. And back in the 80s, uh, the dress code was the girls wore G-string bikinis everywhere, all over. And that was what we did, and uh, it wasn't really a big deal. And because I had started hanging with the bigger crowd, the older crowd, and, you know, I was already um, sexually active at 13, uh, a couple friends of mine and I met some guys out in Palm Springs, and... You know, they, they had a car, and they had money, and they had drinks, and they had room, and, you know, we're, we're going to go party with these guys, which is oftentimes what happens with teenagers, like the party, especially when you've got nothing at home, and you're hungry for attention and affection, and, um, you know, now we're talking about things like daddy issues, mommy issues, abandonment issues, rejection issues. We don't talk about that, so we just, you know, piece that out, but for me, that was a big part of how everything happened for me. And so I go with these guys and uh, we end up in a hotel room in Palm Springs right off the freeway. And uh, I'm not quite sure exactly how everything happened, but uh, I woke up with no clothes on. And, you know, I was in the bathroom. So I'm not quite sure, you know, like if I was drugged or if I drank too much or or what, but it wasn't something that uh, resulted in any, like, severe injuries or anything, so I don't imagine that I was, you know, uh, fighting or anything like that. It seems like maybe I was just passed out in there. I'm not sure, but the end of the story of that is I was by myself with these two men in this room, and, uh, I don't know where my friends had gone to or why they left me there, but I was by myself. And I wasn't so sure that it was a good idea to be there, but um, these guys mentioned going to L.A. And, you know, I was a, one of those kids who really didn't care and I thought I was invincible like most teenagers. And uh, 
So I decided that I would go. And it's something that is not forced upon me, so to speak, um, at that point in time. Of course, I didn't know, I had no awareness of safe zones or, you know, I knew not to get in the car with strangers, but by this point, I mean, you know, we weren't really exactly strangers. <laughs> right. Um, except, you know what I mean? And so, so because I didn't really feel like, you know, there could be much danger in it, uh, I went ahead and went with him. So, uh, we go to Los Angeles. And um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with, or maybe your listeners are familiar with what a back house is, but uh, also there's a guest house. There's a, there's a main house in front of the property, and then the back part of the property is, is a smaller house, but it's detached. Um, usually it has its own, you know, entrance and everything like that. Um, so we get to Los Angeles, and, and we go into this guest house, and uh, we go inside, and and I, I felt something was a little off when we went in there because there was, there was no actual, like, furniture. Um, there was, like... One plastic round resin table. I don't know if you're familiar with what those are, but they have those. Um, they're they're like plastic, green plastic round table, and there was no carpet. It was all cement. Um, one little tiny stereo, plug-in little boombox in there, and no refrigerator, no stove, nothing like that. And I was like, this is kind of weird, you know, thinking in my head. Oh, but I better not act scared because then I'm probably gonna was going to happen. Well, they proceeded to tell me that I was going to work for them. Um, they were going to try me out amongst their friends first. And uh, at that point, I didn't know exactly what they were talking about. Right. But I didn't want to ask. And it seemed like yeah, I didn't know what I was talking about or like I was questioning or, I mean, I don't know. It was just kind of like I figured that the safest thing for me to do was just be to listen to whatever they had to say because now I'm in Los Angeles with these guys. I've got myself into this situation, which wasn't uncommon for me because I was always doing things that um, were, were risky, risky behaviors, you know? Yeah. It was common for me. Um, and, and that's another thing that we don't talk about is all these behaviors that these kids have that have been in the system, it's not necessarily because um, they don't care, it's because... They don't. They don't have any other type of way to behave. Uh, so they um, took me to several different homes, and I still, you know, to this day, I don't, I don't quite um, understand exactly what was going on. Like um, they would take me to a house and put me in a room, and I'd be there for several hours, and men would come in, and men would come in, and men come in, come in, and they would do whatever they wanted and leave. And then they'd take me back to that little house. And this went on for about two and a half weeks. And so, um, you know, having been in the life afterwards, I understand what they were doing with, with breaking me. Essentially, it was like boot camp. Uh, for those that may not understand what that term means, you know, they want to gain compliance from you, they want to get you used to something. They want to make sure that you understand, like, um, this is this is the life that you're living now. So, Amy, these are the things that are, 
I mean, that's that sound. You sound. I, I, I'm picturing what you're saying as you're saying it, and it sounds like you were like literally captive, like a hostage in this back house. That's what I see in my mind. Was yes, that, that's exactly what it was. Were Were you Once scared? What were you feeling? Because I know I would be scared. And how did? And that first question: Were you scared? And second was: Did Did they threaten you with physical force, or what? Was What kept you from like a lash now? Because at this time, it sounds like you were kind of already um, in the street street life. Like, you, did you not have the urge to fight back or or nothing? Well, um, the first I remember the first time that I tried to say anything. I, I was laying on the ground, it was a cement floor, I had one blanket. I was really cold and they came in there and um, you know, these guys would do whatever they wanted to me as well, but um, one of them was in there with me and, and I said, I, I really I really want to go home, you know, like, I said it in a nice way, I was like, I don't, <laughs> I don't think I want to be here anymore. Um, and he hit my, he hit me really hard and my head hit into the cement ground and I thought, at this point, like, things are going to get a lot worse. I'll just, you know, kind of go with the flow. And with them taking me to the houses back and forth, like, I was never alone. And there's a certain point where I think as a kid at 13 years old, like, you find this place of surrender where you feel like, that's out of your no control. matter what you do, no matter what you do, it's not going to work anyways. Because remember, like I said, all of that stuff that happened from when I was nine years old. No one ever believed me. I was in not a foster home. I even went to court um, and testified against him. I had recorded my mother's boyfriend uh, saying confessing to doing what he was doing to me on, on tape, and we went to court. And then his lawyer said that there was no adult that had consented to the recording, so it was discharged from the court. Mm. And then because of my uh, juvenile delinquency, the case was dropped because they said I was lying. So, I mean, at this point, it was like, why why should I fight? Because they're going to, first of all, I don't think I'm going to win anyways. I'm in L.A. with these two dudes, and they're taking me to these houses where all these guys are. Remember, I'd never before this point in time, I'd never really been, like, exposed to something like this. So right. this was, like, back gang rape back to back to back brutal like sodomy and, and I mean everything you can think of Damn. and so at the end of the day I'm just like okay well I'm alive <laughs> I'm alive and um, I, I still to this day there's a sound that I would hear when I was in the back of the car and I would feel the texture of the seat and I would realize oh I'm safe right now okay I don't have to go through that anymore and safe to me was that I wasn't in one, in one of those rooms wow. uh, so, so in that aspect, for that first two and a half weeks, no, I didn't. But um, the first night that they put me out in Hollywood, um, that was the experience that I that caused me to run. After that, I was like, I, I know I can't do this. There was an older lady out there um, when they dropped me off to do whatever it was that I had to do. They, the older lady, kind of just saw me standing around and she explained to me like, you can't do that. You're gonna have some problems and so she kind of schooled me on what to do and I did it all and um, they, by the way yes they were also starving me they weren't feeding me um, so that was one of the ways that they were able to um, control you know, control me um, <clears throat> and so uh, after that first day out there 
I, I, I knew like there was something in me that was like, okay, everything else that's happened to me in my life is not as bad as this. Like, I, I can't, I can't, there's no way that I can go through with all of this. Like I, I have to figure out something. And so when we got, when I got back to that back house, um, I had begged them, you know, please can you go get me something to eat? It was real early in the morning, like four or five o'clock in the morning. Um, and I remember because it was a, it was a Sunday and back, back in this time, K-Day radio used to come on the AM channel and play gospel music and it was a Sunday. That's how I remember. Cause I, that little stereo was on. Mm. And, um, I was like, I, I gotta get out of here. Like, I don't know how I'm gonna do this, but I gotta go. So I ran down to the end of the driveway with no real plan. Um, like, where am I gonna go? I'm in LA and I'm from a little small town in Palm Springs. You know, we don't have tall buildings and it, it was just crazy. And I'm like, well, I'm just gonna go to the house in the front, you know? Um, and the lady that answered the door wasn't wasn't really surprised. Um, I told her like uh, I'm I'm kind of kidnapped. I'm missing, and I was uh, pushed out on the street last night. Like I need some help. Um, and she's like, "Oh, come in. Do you have some family you want to call or whatever?" And never offered to call the police, which you know should have been a red flag for me. But at 13, again, I don't know this stuff. Right. And uh, you know, so the first thing I thought to do was call my mother, and I thought, I hope for once in her life she'll make a good decision, you know, I, because all the other decisions she had made to protect me and provide and, and, and be a mother that keeps their child safe had failed, so, but she's the only person I really knew to call. So I called her, and when she answered, all I could do was cry. Yeah. So, so the lady gets on the phone with her, and oh, and by this point, also, um, I had been a, a case with National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, and my photo had been submitted to them for the milk cartons. I don't know if you remember that. Yep. Um, yeah. So that's so that's where my mom was at in her process of where's Amy because I used to just I would call her when I would run away or whatever, and I just cuss her out or something but it was my way of letting her know like I'm alive <laughs> right so I guess I, I wanted her to know that I was alive or that I hated her or something but um you know so she gets on the phone with a lady and somehow they come to this agreement that this strange lady uh has a friend who's going to be heading towards Palm Springs and has agreed to drop me off at home and and my mom agreed to that and um, when the guy pulled up, I remember he was in a Chrysler Fifth Avenue, and his license plate said Mr. D, and he had little fur balls hanging around the inside of his car, and he had on a derby hat and like five gold chains with a suit and some Stacey Adams, and I knew exactly, and he had a curl. I, I just, I remember when I saw him, I knew exactly what was happening. I, I, the whole picture came because then, then I realized that these two guys that had taken me from Palm Springs to LA were average guys. Like they were in jeans and a t-shirt. They didn't look like anything you see on TV, which is another common misconception. People think that, you know, um, just because you dress a certain way or you have to dress a certain way to be involved in that. And that's not the case. But, um, when I saw this guy, I was like, Oh, so <laughs> I know what's happening now. I've seen those guys around. 
Uh, and um, so. So he looked more like a traditional or with a stereotypical pimp, I would say. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I knew he, like, I knew he was. I, in my in my heart of hearts, I knew he was. And now, you know, having the experience that I have, I understand that it was a ring um, of some kind, probably through L.A. and Vegas and maybe another town. And those two guys that were here in Palm Springs were recruiting, and they got me, took me to L.A., and this guy probably was, you know, like higher up on the totem pole, as they as they say, you know, because he was older. Um, this was in '88, and so I want to say he was probably 50, maybe 55. Uh, he was definitely older, and so that, you know, obviously would explain his mindset. And because as as time has gone by, the game has changed, and because that used to be the thing, like that's how. That's how you did things. Um, right. I don't have to get into that. It's not really important, but I think you know what I'm talking about. I do. Um, so, so I get in the car with this guy. I, I, I'm not speaking to him. I still haven't eaten, but the lady gave me a glass of water um, and a T-shirt. So we're driving, and I remember we got by the 15 freeway in Ontario, and he said, hey, I have a convention to go to um, in Vegas. I'm going to take you home after that. <laughs> And I laugh now, but it was kind of like a comedy of errors, if you will. I just, I, I was like, this is really happening. Like over and over, this, these things in my life just keep happening. And, and like, I'm a kid, man. I, why is this happening? So right. we get to Vegas and yeah. we check into the Circus Circus Hotel. And, um, you know, nobody says anything. I'm sure that somebody had to know. Like, I, I try to imagine myself not knowing anything about the game. Now, if I see this old-ass, pimp-looking dude right. here, and this little-ass little, little -ass white girl, right? Because, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm half-white and Mexican, whatever. I look like a, a little-ass white girl. Like, right. something's really... And, and it really doesn't matter if it could be a little-ass black girl. It doesn't matter. The whole point is, you know what's going on. You're looking, and people are not dumb, like... I know that they had to know something, but nobody said anything, so we get up to the room, and he says, um, you're going to work for me now, and I, you know, I kind of was already expecting that, um, and he told me that, um, I was being watched, and that he had somewhere to go, and that he would be back, but, um, before he left, he, um, he raped me, and, and he was pretty brutal, like, he, he hurt me, um, and I was very, very afraid. Even though he told me, like, I was being watched and stuff, when he left the room, I, um, there were, it was like, I felt like life or death. Like, if I, if he comes back to this room, I don't know what's going to happen, because already what happened in L.A. was bad enough, and I, I, I didn't know if I could do whatever it was that this guy was going to have me doing. Right. So I decided that I was going to make a run for it. Like, well, I don't, if I'm being watched, then I'll be, I'm being watched, but I'm going to go. I'm going to leave. I'm going to do this fighting. And um, so I took off and I ran to the nearest security guard that I found, like downstairs. And they took me down to this little basement place. And um, I, I remember I told them I was cold and I was hungry. And they were like, yeah, that happens to runaways, ha ha, you know, this isn't Burger King. And That's how the people the responded to you, the security? 
to them.